This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome to I Will Watch Anything Once. I'm your host, Mark David Christensen. Happy New Year! This is great to be back, and 2015 feels like it's going to be a good one. Because 2014, it was okay. I mean, there was great things about it, but I feel like overall everybody's pretty happy that 2014's over, and now we're in 2015! I'm really excited for this year. I have great guests lined up for the podcast. I want to talk about a little about indie communities real fast, and how I think they're just so important. It's been said before, but I think indie communities are very important for any sort of creative endeavor. I'm very happy to be part of the improv indie community, in Los Angeles, California. Um, I'm only six years into my improv career, and I don't think I would be where I am at as an improviser if not for the indie community. When you first start out improv, all you have really is classes. It's where you're learning to get a skill, but there's really nowhere to turn to immediately to actually practice your improv. Um, it wasn't until I became very aware of the first indie improv uh, show in Los Angeles, uh, Tuesday Night Thunder, um, a great show. It was such a pleasure to be able to, one, go watch teams um, in the indie community perform and practice their craft, but then finally get the chance to perform me. However, TNT wasn't the first show I ever performed at. My first indie show was Crash Bar, another indie show that started because there was uh, the history that I know very little about was that a car crashed into the iOS bar on Hollywood, which is sounds insane to me that that even happened. And I believe this show started to benefit in actually um, getting that bar back up and paying for some of the costs to get the bar back up. Out of that tragedy, Crash Bar was born, and I was lucky enough with my first uh, uh, improv team, which was called Mostly Single, which was a bunch of great improvisers and friends that came from my UCB classes, got to perform at Crash Bar for the very first time in the indie scene. I still to this day can talk about scenes that were in that first um, show and how um, great it felt to get up and without, uh, without a net of a coat, like you are in um, practice or in cl- with a teacher in class to actually just go out and perform this thing that I've been working on and fall in love with. And Mostly Single had a great show. It was it was awesome. The ability to have an indie community that lets you continually put your craft out and be um, judged is not the right word, but to be observed and to be reacted to by an audience. And I think that is a very important thing. And I think we... Uh, we cannot let go of indie communities. Because even though we're all striving to get bigger and um, and let the whole world see us, we have to keep working on it at our smaller levels. I'm so grateful for the indie community in Los Angeles. The indie community aspect of what's happening with improv is important in any sort of creative endeavor, especially in movies still to this day. We have big studio movies, which are, are quality. I, I have nothing against the big studio movies. A lot of people think they should stop making them, even movies that I dislike, like the tr- Michael Bay Transformer movies. I'm never going to say, hey, Michael Bay, you should make a different movie. No, you should keep making those movies. If anything, there's one, you have an audience that loves them. Two, we wouldn't have anything. It wouldn't make the indie movies, deeper movies, and richer movies stand out if we didn't have those contrasts. And also, 
sometimes like John Wick this last year, action movie that we think is just going to be a popcorn cinema and not great ends up being such a surprise. That ended up being one of my favorite movies of the year just because it was so, it was high quality and it was absolutely fun. But regardless of that, just think we still have to embrace our indie communities and support them. Whether it be that you're a creator or just a person that loves art, movies, improv, there's these communities that we have. I mean, that's probably why Kickstarter and Indiegogo is great for indie filmmakers is because it's creating an opportunity for these filmmakers to fund their projects. And that brings me to my guest, uh, which I'm really excited for. This is the first guest that's not a friend. I didn't know this person before we actually talked. I was reached out to via Twitter and asked to watch an indie movie that had been produced and put out in the world and got to talk to the writer-director of the movie. And I hope this will continue to happen in the future and I'll be able to talk to more um, independent creators and maybe one day have a conversation with some of the people I love. Dreaming of sitting down with Martin Scorsese as a peer. I don't know if it will ever happen, but I can always keep on dreaming, right? Can't let go of that. But anyways, I'm really happy to have my guest writer and director, Jack Thomas Smith. So you're originally from Utah. My girlfriend actually lived in Utah for a little while when she was a kid. I, I can't tell you where in Utah, but I know somewhere in Utah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I grew up, I live, uh, born and raised in Utah, and then I moved out here six years ago. So, oh, cool, man. Yeah. What brought you to L.A., if you don't mind me asking? Not at all. Acting um, acting brought me out here, so I <laughs> keep pursuing that. And then I've fallen into comedy. I go, I improvise and UCB Upright Citizens Brigade out here, which they also have in New York. Uh, so I do that, and that's my passion. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. I mean, that's that's a pretty good group, man. I mean, I've definitely heard of them. That's Cheryl Hines, right? She runs that, right? Or is affiliated with it? She was Groundlings. Cheryl Hines was Groundlings. They're out here, too. The people that are most associated in the founders of UCB is Amy Poehler. Ian mm. Roberts, Matt Besser, and Matt Walsh. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I mixed them up. Yep. Yeah. Well, there's. I mean, at this point, there's so many too. But yeah, those <laughs> are the. That's the UCB uh, founders. Cool. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, I'm lucky. I, I mean, all my friends are through improv and all of that. So. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. Well, congrats, man. I, I hope you tear it up. So uh, let's get into your movie. I just finished it. I just watched it, and. Uh, <clears throat> Wow. <laughs> it's a happy movie, right? Oh, so happy. Such a cheery, <laughs> such a cheery movie. It was it was it was uh it was just like Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> the Swiss family Robinson, you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh since you were the um the writer and director of this, give us a quick uh, like a uh, synopsis of what this film is. Sure. Uh, basically, the way I describe infliction is it is a disturbing assembled footage film that documents a murder spree committed by two brothers in North Carolina in 2011 and the horrific truth behind their actions. Um, you know, it's 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 a dark film, pretty brutal. Um, but you're going to find yourself asking as you watch the film who are the true criminals here and who are the true victims? Great. I uh, definitely agree with that. That's a great way to describe it. So Thanks. Yeah, uh, it's uh, – I mean it's it's one of those films, man. I mean it's just the lines are blurred between the protagonist and the antagonist. Yeah, I, definitely. I mean <laughs> and, and discussing that, when you first sent me over like, hey, watch this movie and we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about it. When I first saw the description, it didn't really get into that, like, oh, there's a darker side. And when I first, like, I think I watched, I looked at the tr- uh, the IMDB page, I looked at the trailer, yeah. and I looked at, like, just the poster, and I was like, oh, man, I'm getting into something, because I'm not a big horror guy. Like, sure. I am far from horror. I, not that I dis- completely dislike it. The only reason I dislike watching horror is because I get, I get too involved it freaks me out, and I scare myself very easily. So when you sent this over, I was like, well, this is what you started, man. You'll watch anything once. So here we go. That's uh, right, man. 
<laughs> but with that being said, though, I don't know if I would categorize Infliction as a horror film. It's more of like a psychodrama. I wouldn't either. That was like my biggest thing. But by the end of the movie, I was like, this isn't a horror movie. I get yeah. why the general would maybe general uh, labeling would put it in that section. For sure. Some of the horrific like violence that we, we see. But like overall, I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have categorized as a horror at all. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got horror elements to it, you know, you know, with the, with murders and, 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 you know, the, the gore and all that, but, you know, all in all, I mean, it's, it's very character driven. It's very story driven. Um, and that's, that's what makes it kind of unique in the, you know, the quote unquote found footage genre, because usually with the found footage genre, it's, um, you know, oh, there's a monster chasing us. Let's record everything, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but with this, I mean, this was, you know, this wasn't, you know, build up on sound effects or on, you know, uh, supernatural or anything like that. I mean, this was this was real uh, uh, human struggle. And <clears throat> there was a logical reason why they were recording everything. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I appreciate the uh, the slow burn of it because at first you're just like, okay, I guess I have to go on this this terrible journey with these characters. Yeah. But then you're just if you just keep giving it time, then you slowly get. Each time, I just kept getting more and more information of like, okay, there's motivation behind this. <laughs> it's a dark mo. It's a dark motivation <laughs> that I'm getting. Like it's like, it, but even made it even more interesting because, uh in a traditional way, like you said, it would be like, Oh, I'm getting scared of what's the next violent thing going to happen. And this, I was probably more scared of finding out what was the next big uh, information drop that was going to come. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great way to put it though. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the whole thing is that, you know, if you're, if you're looking to watch transformers, you know, or if you want to see the dark Knight, this is not that type of movie. (laughs) I mean, this isn't, you know, hit you over the head nonstop, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, mental stimulation. I mean, this is one of those where you got to watch it. You got to watch the story unfold. You got to follow the characters, find out what's behind it. And honestly, the other challenge with this film was that, you know, when you do a traditional film, you know, like, let's say the shining or Halloween, um, if you take the music away from both of those films, those are boring films with, you know, like with The Shining, with Halloween, with most horror films, you know, it's the characters walking down a hallway and cue scary music and it builds the tension and you know something's coming, you know. But with Infliction, you know, because we shot it to look like a documentary, you know, you just can't cue scary music to build a scene. So I'm I'm kind of, you know, expanding on what you're saying that you really had to be caught up in the story and what was driving the characters to kind of build the tension. Um, and then the other thing is, if you look at some of the other found footage films like Cloverfield, mm-hmm. uh, Quarantine, these other types of films, um, <clears throat> you know, they don't have musical scores, but they've got over the top sound effects, over the top visual effects, you know, so. I didn't have either, you know, I didn't, I didn't have traditional uh, movie score, creepy music. And I also didn't have, you know, a giant monster walking through a city, knocking buildings down and military firing machine guns at them. So it was definitely a challenge to keep the audience engaged and kind of keep them on the edge of their seat without, you know, over the top sound effects or without, you know, the, the traditional creepy music score. Oh, I I think you succeeded because definitely, and there was definitely moments of just you constantly were just wondering what the camera on the point, especially when you were in the point of view of the camera, you were just like, what's going to, what's going to enter this frame next? <laughs> like, right. And right. that, and I think that became, it, it became a very point of view. And I liked, I mean, that, that just puts you in a different seat as opposed to other, uh, what we know is a traditional film. So sure. E- exactly. So yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you know, and, and it seems like a lot of people are uh, connecting with Infliction. We've gotten a lot of good reviews. Um, you know, we've gotten a couple bad reviews. And, and, I, and it's funny because the, the handful of bad reviews that we have gotten, I think what's happening is people are going in thinking they're going to see, 
you know, like a torture porn type of film, you know, yeah. oh, there's people tied up and gagged up. So let's get them naked and torture them, you know, and, and that's not infliction. It's not, you know. And so if you go in thinking you're going to see a torture porn film, you're you're going to be, you know, very disappointed. It's it's <laughs> not that type of film. It was so funny that <laughs> there was this one review. Honestly, I got to tell you this. This one guy wrote. Um, it was a bad review. He wrote, um, you know, I wanted the characters to stop talking and start stabbing each other. And it's like, OK, if that's a review, you know, I'm definitely going to be listening to this guy from now on. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. It's like we in, in one. It's like I've we've already there's tons. There's a huge market for that kind of movie already. Yeah. Yeah. So It's like, well, then just go to that. You don't need to like why make this thing that's different. Why try to shoehorn it into that? Just accept it for what it is, and if you want, if you want more stabbing, go watch Eli Roth. <laughs> exactly. You don't watch my film then. Exactly. So yeah, and that's that's the thing is that you know, and and a lot of people have said that after they've watched Infliction that they went in thinking one thing and coming out with something completely different. And but you do get those handful of people that it's like you know they can't shift gears. I guess you know it's like they were dead set on going in to see a torture porn flick. It, it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And instead of taking it for what it was, I guess they were pissed off or disappointed. I have no idea, man. I have no, no idea. But it was a funny review I wanted to share. Yeah, that's a really funny one. And I kind of like agree with that statement of like that you can't shift gears. It's sort of the way like me personally, I've, I've kind of chosen to stop watching trailers now. Uh, okay. or at least unless I go see it in a movie theater for the most part, because I just don't want any expectation. I don't want anything to influence me. My viewing of a movie like this or any movie is just like, great, I just want this to give me what it has. Then I'll make my judgment or I'll make my call as opposed sure. to getting filled up with expectation and then having it, whether it ex- uh, reaches that expectation or it fails it. It's, I don't know. It's expectation always gears us in the same the wrong way anyway (laughs) i mean that's an awesome way to do it honestly i totally respect that you know because i mean we've all we've all been caught with that where the trailer looks awesome and then you're completely disappointed and and then also you know the flip side where you know you don't really have great expectations on a film and then it's like holy crap this was really good you know yeah definitely uh, let's get into like, where did, when, uh, when did you start developing this movie and what, in, what was your biggest inspirations for like also the style and the, uh, the story? Yeah. Um, basically, well, where I came up with the idea for the story, um, <clears throat> there was a, a, a person that, that I once knew and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into who she is or her name or anything, but right. her family was, you know, they, she came from a pretty abusive family um, not the best people. Um, so there are elements of truth to infliction. I mean, there are, I mean, you know, not, not as extreme, like with the, the murders and <clears throat> excuse me and all of that, but there are some elements of truth to that. Um, and you know what, man, I mean, I've said this on, on other interviews that honestly, if I wanted to say that infliction was based on a true story, I wouldn't be lying because all you would have to do is turn on the news every day and you see some sort of horror on the news anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world that you see an infliction. But with that being said, I mean, uh, the idea came from just kind of seeing the cycle of abuse with this person's family. You know, the, the parents have been abused by their parents and their parents abused them. And, you know, and, and then when her siblings started having kids, you know, they weren't the best with their kids either. And, you know, you just kind of see that cycle of abuse and how, you know, and and that's not everyone, you know, not every single person who's been abused is destined to become an abuser. Um, But you just see it a lot, that that whole cycle of abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, So that kind of served as as the um, the motive behind the film, the you know, I don't want to say inspiration, but that was kind of what was behind it. Um, And then in terms of the shooting style. Um, the script dictated it. Um, you know, in other words, I didn't go out, I, I didn't set out to do a found footage film. Mm-hmm. Essentially what happened was as I was writing it and then the cameras tied in that dictated how I was going to shoot the film. And, you know, with that being said, you know, you find out as the story progresses, 
you know, it's it's not one of those like Blair Witch or Cloverfield where, you know, the characters are running from a monster and it's like, you know, shut off the damn camera and run, you know? Yeah. Um, I wanted it to make sense why these brothers were recording everything. <clears throat> and as the film progresses, you know, you find out why. I mean, there's a very specific reason why they're recording everything, why the cameras are to never shut off. Um, what was behind everything that they're doing and ultimately the cameras, you know, they had a very important purpose to, to what they were doing. Yeah. Every step of the way, which was very interesting. And I, I, like, I found it super interesting at one point, uh, where you, your story in such a horrific story and a story with blurred lines between your protagonist and antagonist in a sense of where, where you think, in a sense, you start this movie thinking we're following an antagonist, and then in the end, you kind of get into a blurred line uh, of where, like, I actually am following a protagonist. Just it's sure. it might be in it might be from my perspective a distorted belief of like making a difference or taking you know of a protagonist, but it's still a protagonist. It reminded me a lot of a I don't know if you ever saw the uh, movie Battle of Algiers. No, I never saw that. It's this. It's. It reminded me a lot of it because it's this movie. I can't. I wish I. I don't have it up right now. But what year it was? It's a black and white movie. and It's about Algeria taking its uh, its freedom away from France. And okay. It, and you watch Algerians take bombs and blow up innocent people to finally get them do all these things that we constantly go. That's a terrorist act. But then you're put in a situation and a perspective that you're like, well, I kind of now I'm on their side. What's this? This is weird. <laughs> And that's how this this infliction did it's the same thing. Like that's, by the end you're like, "Oh, well, ah shit. Like now I'm a kind of agreeing with what they're doing to the parents." <laughs> like but at the same time I I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that, would I? If somebody was here, I probably would have asked them that. <laughs> Dude, I hear you, man. It's that whole, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like the same thing with the Palestinians and the Israelis, you know, it's like, are they terrorists? Are they freedom fighters? Are they terrorists? Are they freedom fighters? It's that whole, you know, it's all about, it's all about perspective, you know, and that's, and that's the whole thing is that, um, uh, you know, with, with infliction, you know, the, the, and, and, you know, not giving anything away to the audience, but it does deal with the long-term effects of child abuse. And, um, the one thing about people who have been abused is they're constantly chasing reclaiming their lives. They want to take back their lives and define themselves. They don't want to be defined as victims. They want to define themselves. And it's funny because, I mean, we've had so many, you know, we, we've done numerous screenings across the country and we do Q&As afterwards. And it's amazing how this film seems to touch people um, and they share, you know, I mean, one woman in particular, you know, she shared that she had been abused as a kid. And and she said what what kind of what, what made her connect with the film was that they're taking their lives back. They're basically settling up with their abusers and with the system that failed them. And whereas, you know, she said she never got that. She was never able to, you know, <clears throat> confront her abuser or, you know, put him in jail or spit in his face or hit him or anything because he had died. So she always had that feeling of trying to, to take back her life. It's, it's like a ghost she's chasing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's the one thing, you know, with infliction was that, yeah, I mean, it's about, you know, they're trying to reclaim their lives and, and, and define themselves instead of letting someone else define them. Yeah, I mean, and it's just they do it in such a horrific way. So it's like, but at the same time, it, I, I think that comes through a lot, very clear in the movie of them trying to reclaim, cre- reclaim their lives. Yeah, I mean, that that very much comes through. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, great. Um, there's, uh, I I want to talk about like two movies while watching your movie that I was like, oh, this reminds me of this and this. <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, maybe you've never seen them, but. I kept they, they they popped in my head while watching your your film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a have you ever seen George O. Romero's a movie called Martin? No, you know that is one Romero film. I done. He's a vampire, right? 
Yeah, it, well, you that's the whole thing is you don't know he's a vampire oh. or not. <laughs> like, oh, man, did I just give the whole thing away? <laughs> no, just watch it because he, okay. I can't tell you if he is one or not. By the end of the movie, you're, you're, it's kind of like up in the air. But like it, your movie reminded me because like uh, the home invasion part, especially in the couple, the, mm-hmm. the, the couple they attack, that part, just the home invasion, like entering the house unwelcome. Remind me a lot of Martin because that's what there's moments in that movie where it, it the home invasion is so uncomfortable, and I okay. think that's what that kind of like portrayed to me in that moment was just how uncomfortable that that is, how vulnerable we really are just sitting in our houses. Right, right, <laughs> dude. I'm definitely gonna check that out, man. I you know I actually forgot like I've seen the crazies, I've seen all his movies. That's one I did not say. Yeah, I I highly suggest it. Uh, okay. And again, I'm not a horror guy, and I think it's a great movie. <laughs> but it's a cool flick. Yeah, I'll definitely say it. I'm a big Romero guy, so that's oh, uh, that's definitely on my list. Yeah, and then the other one, I a lot of it's, it's a Criterion Collection one called Man Bites a Dog. No, I never saw that, but I, I think someone else made a comparison. I've never seen Man Bites Dog, but I've heard of it. It's great, and again, I, when I say comparison, I don't want to like I'm not putting it like putting infliction up against it or anything it's just sure. when i see it i go oh great it, it, it it's like it lines up with this and it's uh and it it's very different of course in one way but the whole movie man bites dog is a documentary uh crew following a serial killer like in france oh cool and it's it's one of the most messed up it's entertaining and messed up in all the good ways. Okay. And it's very interesting. And then especially when it, it, blur, it starts to blur that line between where, where documentary filmmakers themselves have to be like, choose to like, do I include myself in this right. or do right. I not? And it's, it's very, it reminded me of that a little, uh, infliction just because, especially cause they were claiming like their, their way of trying to get, past their cameras why they had cameras was like we're making a documentary and in a way even though it wasn't addressed it's like they're sort of are making a documentary like they're not they're not lying it's really not a cover right right yeah that i mean dude that's awesome i definitely want to check that one out and you know what's you know what's funny is that um the other comparisons that i heard were um uh, did you ever see Funny Games? Yeah, I have seen Funny Games. That was another comparison, and I have seen Funny Games. And, uh, I mean, I, I liked Funny Games. But, I mean, outside of the two brothers and they're, they're murdering people and all that, I mean, that to me is where the similarities ended. And then the other one was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that back in the 80s. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that was uh, – actually, do you know the actor Michael Rooker? Oh, I know what movie you're talking about, but I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, he played. Yeah, yeah, that was where he came from. Great movie if you ever get a chance, man. And and again, I've heard I've heard comparisons to that as well. And I love I love Henry. So, it maybe there are some elements of Henry in that subconsciously. Um, but I I will definitely check out Man Bites Dog though. That sounds awesome, and I'm definitely going to check out Martin. Yeah, definitely do it. And I, I and again, these movies the reason these movies are popping up is cuz your movie is giving the same effect. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's right. portraying a certain way that I'm going, oh, this is like this and this is great. <laughs> and I like, I'm enjoying what I'm watching. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this movie hits heavy. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not a happy movie, man. I mean, it's not, but what, but what's terrible is that there's people like this out there. And that's, you know, and that's the whole thing. It's like, you know, what's scarier, Freddy Krueger or something like this, like the real horrors in the world, you know, like, you know, France, you know, guys walk in and shoot up a, a newspaper, you know, for running a cartoon, a, a cartoon character. You know, I mean, it's just, it's insane how scary the real world is. And, you know, and then you look at Freddy Krueger and Jason and Michael Myers and it's like, really, you know? Yeah, I, I I'm far more scared of a real human being, such as in this film, both parties, because both parties. I'm scared of what made these two characters what they are, which sure. is even as scary, more scary than them. But also scared that, like, yeah, we, unbeknownst to us, we could be creating monsters. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and that's that's the whole thing too with infliction is that you know, <clears throat> and that that was the, the if you remember the one scene in the bar when they were talking with the bartender, yeah. you know, it's 
It's, you know, are we genetically predisposed to become what we are? Uh, is it environment that may that that, you know, creates us to become what we are? Or is it a combination of both? And honestly, my personal opinion, I think it's a combination of both. I think I think we have genetic predispositions predisp- to certain things. But I also think it's our environment that can tilt us either way. You know, I mean, if if you know, if 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 you have a possible mental illness in you, but you're brought up in a loving environment, all that, it, it might never, it, it might never rear its ugly head. But if you're brought up in a uh, abusive environment, it might ultimately rear its ugly head and become that much more worse, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, you look at Charles Manson. I mean, uh, Charles Manson as a child, it's like, what a terrible story. I mean, his mom was a prostitute. Um, his, his biological father was essentially one of her Johns. Um, she would bring people back to her hotel room, motel room and, and have sex with them right in front of him when he was a child. And she, she thought so little of him when she gave birth to him that she didn't even give him a name. He didn't even have a name on it, on a birth certificate. It, it was no name Maddox. That's what was on his birth certificate. So he essentially, what happened was the mom had a regular John. And the guy's name was Charles Manson, her regular John, that this guy essentially that young Charles Manson essentially looked at him as a father figure. Talk about uh, how screwed up that is. That's I can't even fathom. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, and look what the end result is. You know, this yeah. is the end result. And the problem is they're out in so, uh, society. So no matter you know how well you're brought up or how well you take care of your children or your family and all that, unfortunately, you have those people out there that, you know, aren't doing right by their kids or aren't doing right by each other. And it's just, it's, it's a shame because it's just such a, you know, and, and, and a lot of life is just, you know, it's, it's luck of the draw that you don't cross paths with some of these scary people, you know? Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, also I want to point out that like, I think it was, I don't know if brave is the right word, but I think a lot of movies in this kind of genre right now, are a lot of satire. They'll take the right. violence and they put it into a satirical way. And I think it was it was nice to see you not do that. You right. kind of were just going to like, like we're discussing, you just went for it and was like, I'm going to just stick <clears throat> to my guns and show this, 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 this dark part of our, of our world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, yeah, I, I mean, there, you know, there were certain things in there that, you know, with imagery and symbolism and all that, you know, to, to show failures of government, that type of thing, you right. know, um, which we all, you know, we could all cite, you know, our problems with the failure of government. But um, no, I mean, this wasn't, you know, it, it was what it was, you know, it was. And 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 that goes back to your question earlier about, you know, what, you know, what made me decide to shoot it this way. And, and that was kind of the point was that, you know, I wasn't trying to do this whole visual um, you know, it's something completely different than what you're saying. You know, I basically wanted to be this to be down and dirty. You know, what you see is what you get. And, you know, and, and if it's taken a shot at government, well, guess what? I mean, that's pretty that that's actually pretty obvious. I mean, there was nothing underlying in it, you know. Yeah. So I've, I'm all for taking a shot at the government. <laughs> I have to deal with I have to deal with medical insurance right now. I definitely want you to take shots at the government. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that'll be the next one. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I'll watch that. (laughs) I'll watch it and I'll root for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't even get me started on the government. Yeah, exactly. I think all of us don't need to get started. It would be be many hours. Exactly. Uh, I want to know, like with filming... What were were there any difficulties in filming in this style? Because like traditionally, as a director, you would you'd probably have <clears throat> you mainly would have one camera running, and you'd have probably a monitor uh, going to your base camp, and you'd be watching, observing everything. How do you, as a director, manage multiple cameras like this, and how do you direct that to to get them? I'm assuming. Uh, I mean, I don't. Did you have a, a DP on this, or did you? Sh- oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I would assume you did, but it's like they have to manage so much. Oh yeah, and and you know what? I'm glad that you just said that because 
um, the whole suspension of disbelief, you know, that the audience really truly believes that the brother walking around with that, that little handy cam was recording everything. And that's, that's awesome. And, and, and it's a great question because this was challenging, man. It, it is a lot easier to shoot a traditional film than a found footage film. And, and I'll explain why. Um, with a found footage film, the audience's perception is that what they're seeing is what's being shot with the little Walmart cam, the little handy cam in the brother's hand. But the fact of the matter is we had a DP, we lit everything. And the challenge for the DP was that he had to have the same exact movements of the camera down pat with the actor holding the, the handy cam. And he was a lot of times right over his shoulder, like, for, for example, in the reflection in the mirror. He was like right over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and the camera that we shot on was a Sony F3 camera. And that's that's like Mac Daddy. I mean, that's a state of the art, you know, like you shoot real movies on that, <clears throat> at least at the time when we shot Infliction. You know, right. now they've even progressed beyond that. But anyway... Um, So for the actor, the actor not only had to remember his lines, not only did he have to do uh, deliver a performance, but he also had to be perfectly in sync with the movement of the camera. Does it go up? Does it go down? Does it go left to right? Swing around. He had to be perfectly in sync with the DP. And what that required from my standpoint was in pre-production, every single shot was written out. I wrote out every single shot to a point where I was even going into detail when the camera should zoom in, zoom out, swing, you know, shake, you know, move from left to right. And I I knew that in pre-production that that would be the only way to get the actor and the DP to be on the same page was literally choreograph every shot. So it it was a challenge, man, because with a traditional film, you know, it's, it's traditional. It's just, you know, you get your establishing shot, your, you know, and then you move in, you get your medium shots, close ups over the shoulder. You know, if you want to go to cutaways of a clock on a wall or a dripping faucet, you can do cutaways, cross cut between action sequences. But with with found footage, you literally are seeing what the the character holding that camera is seeing. So you're you're not going to get those cutaways. You're not going to get an establishing shot so you know where you're at, you know. So it's all got to be done from the perspective of that one camera. Um and and to elaborate a little bit more, um I cheated a little bit and that's why <laughs> in the sense with the the cameras in the car. So when they were in their in their truck I remember the one brother was like, Jesus, you're, you're not playing around. He said, I told you I wanted to document everything. They had those GoPro cameras, four of them in the car. So for storytelling purposes, it worked because they want to document everything. Yeah. From a filmmaking standpoint, it gave me four cameras in the car that I could cut to. I could cut between their performances. And it, it worked for me um, in terms of putting the film together. And the audience bought it because they were clearly documenting everything. You know, so that's the challenge, though, with with um, found footage. It's also cutting these performances together. If you're only using one camera, it's hard to cut around things. So, yeah, I'll do a traditional film any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever want to do found footage again. Man. So you did it once and now you're like, I did it. I got it out <laughs> of done. my system. <laughs> and I'm out. <laughs> that's great. That's thanks. I power to you you took the challenge and it's yeah. when you met it you met the challenge and now you're like i don't have to do it again no i'm good i'm good man that's great and and you've done one other film before this is that right i did i did a film called disorder um i wrote it directed it and produced it it was a psychological thriller um the entire film was uh, told from the perspective of the uh, uh of the main character who is a paranoid schizophrenic And it's one of those films that, you know, once you think you have it all figured out, there's a twist ending to it. Um, That was a traditional film. We shot it uh, in northeast Pennsylvania in the Pocono area. Um, Independent film, you know, all a bunch of unknown actors. And uh, it was picked up by Universal. Um, They released it on DVD nationwide. It was in every Hollywood video, movie gallery, Walmart. Um, then Warner Brothers released it on pay-per-view and video on demand. So we, we did great with it. So yeah, thank you. And then, you know, the follow up with infliction and, you know, and that's gotten a national release and, uh, you know, it's in all the retailers as well. It's, uh, 
Uh, and Infliction's been released by Virgil Films and Entertainment. They're the same company that released Super Size Me. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, you know, we're doing good with both of them. That's great. That's great to hear that. Um, I don't. I just. I like to hear little films such as this that you're just going for your own vision or whatever and doing it with a small crew probably a small budget and everything and just going for it but hearing it succeed is awesome yeah and that's the one thing man is that at the end of the day um i mean i'm I'm an artist and and i'm not you know i'm not saying that you know like arrogantly or or being weird or anything but i mean I, i it's i want to control my vision and that's the one beauty when you're dealing in the indie world, you know, that you can control your vision, um, you know, but then when you start getting into bigger films, which is, you know, uh, where ultimately that's what I'd like to do. I mean, we're meeting with investors right now for my next film, which is a much bigger film. Um, you know, it's, it's that balance, that challenge to try and maintain control of your film. And especially when you get into the studios, forget about it. I mean, it's, it's literally insert director here, you know, unless you're one of the big guys, you know, um, because the studios want to control everything, the script, the, you know, the final cut, everything. And they just, you know, it's, it's, it's all prepackaged, ready to go. We just need a director. So insert one here. So it's just, I mean, that's the one beauty about indie filmmaking is that, you know, when you do find those those hidden gems in the indie world, I mean, they're usually great because, you know, this is this is a true vision of someone, one person or a couple of people that did not get tankered with. That's great. I can 100 percent support that kind of filmmaking. I mean, that to me is the way it should be. You know, and that's way it used to be in the 70s, the, the new Hollywood era, you know, where they would let Spielberg go off to, you know, to New York to go do Jaws. You know, they would let, you know, Woody Allen do his films in New York. They were all on location. And, and, and the movies of the 70s were just amazing, man. Deer Hunter, you know, Taxi Driver, because they were all shot on location. So it looked, it, it wasn't some back lot in L.A. being, you know, fake to look like in New York. It was yeah. the real deal with the extras being real people from that area, you know, not, you know, not people trying to pretend like they're from that area, you know? So yeah, definitely. I feel like, the, I mean, outside of indie film, the only director that pops into mind that sort of still does that is probably Soderbergh. Yes. Like yes. Bubble, Bubble, I think every actor in it was just a local where they shot it. So... I haven't seen that one, but I mean, yeah, his other films. Absolutely, man. I mean, that is, that's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's just keeping it real and it it just, it's the whole thing, you know, I mean, it's, it's all the little details. I mean, I know Ed Wood said, you know, people don't pay attention to the little details, but they do, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They do. As much as we say they don't, they do. They do. (laughs) I, I, I sit around with a lot of comedy nerds. We're a bunch of comedy people, and we see a lot of. We love details. So. Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what it is, man. I mean, that's what gives it that that you know that whole real you know like like the Sopranos. I don't know if you ever saw the show The Sopranos, um, but that's that's my area. I live in that in the area where The Sopranos took place, and I'm telling you, man, the writing, the actors they they cast. I mean, it is as authentic to my area as humanly possible, man. I mean, they talked like the people around here. They, you know, just the way they act, the way they just their, their homes and their mannerisms. And it, and that's what David Chase did. I mean, he grew up in Northwest New Jersey, Northern New Jersey. You know, we're like about 45 minutes, half hour outside of the, of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and he went all authentic, the actors, the locations, even the extras, the bit parts. It was everyone from around here. And it, it would just it, to me, it's the greatest show that's ever been on TV. And it, it just was so authentic to the area. That's why I connected with it. That's great. I sadly have not watched that series yet, but I do know my friend who's from New Jersey out here. He used to work on that show. So I oh, know how go. authentic it was. So that's yeah. great. Um, that's great. Um, one other thing I wanted to just compliment on this uh, film was with it going into it and being a person that's scared, like just blatantly scared of watching horror movies, <laughs> uh, your violence I thought was dealt with very well and it didn't outweigh, even when we saw moments of shocking violence, like with uh, a removal of a <clears throat> face or the throat. Um, I don't think that even though it was there and it was like shocking, it didn't, it didn't feel the shock without weighing 
really all of what was more important, meaning the relationship between these brothers and the information that was going to be slowly unravel. And I think that was just a good thing. I liked that rather Thank than letting you. it take kind of take the cake of the movie. Thank you. And that was the point. Exactly. Was that, I mean, I didn't want, I didn't want to have gratuitous violence, you know, I mean that <clears throat> I wanted it to make sense. And, you know, and, and if you remember, you know, the, the way that they posed their victims, the, the way they posed them was, you know, to the, the punishment fits the crime. It basically, they posed their victims in ways that represented how these people had harmed them. You know, the judge with the God complex, you know, he mm -hmm. was posed in a clergy robe and, you know, and so on down the line. Um, so the violence was important because it was part of what they needed to do to reclaim their lives. But it wasn't everything. It wasn't the whole story that the real purpose of the film was what was behind what they were doing. Right. And I think you, you nailed it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for um, contacting me and having me watch your film. It was great. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate, and I appreciate, I appreciate you taking the time to watch it, man. I mean, that's that's all. I mean, in the indie world, we need all the support we can get, man. Yeah, man. You got a rental out of me on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, and um, do you want to? What was the film that you're uh, coming up with next? Can you give sure, us a little um, intro on that? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually working on it. It's an action horror film. This one is going to be more of a traditional horror film. Um, it's called In the Dark. And essentially what the story is about is a small island in Michigan um, gets overrun by zombie vampire type creatures. Uh, these things are not Twilight. I mean, these things, you know, they're they're not your, you know, your traditional European romanticized vampires. These things are like crack addicts. Um, they're, they're pissed off Their their, uh, need to feed, uh, drives them mad. So they run full speed at people trying to tear them up to feed. Um, <clears throat> but that's essentially the, uh, uh, the popcorn version. Um, that's the popcorn description. There's, there's a whole story underneath. Um, and the underlying theme to the film is uh, it's about immorality. Um, one of the main characters in the film, you know, he paralyzes his best friend in a drunk driving accident. Another character is having an affair on his wife. Another character, she's being abused by a stepfather. And even the antagonists in the film, I mean, their their desire to feed, it's like an addiction. So it's it's almost like a play on addiction as well. So there's that blurred line between the antagonists and the protagonists and and you know, all these underlying storylines all connect. So, um, you know, so, but at the end of the day, it's got the story, it's got the character development, the underlying theme, but then it's also got the popcorn elements where, you know, there's going to be creatures chasing after people, people with guns blowing the crap out of them trying to get away. <laughs> so it's still going to be a fun movie. Great. You're giving us everything we want. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I hope so. Right now we're meeting with investors. So, uh, we haven't solidified anything yet. It's always that's always the hardest parts raising the capital. So, uh, so hopefully I'll know more, uh, you know, in the next few months, and you know I'll definitely share with you the progress. That'd be great. That's awesome, Jack. Do you have anything else you wanted to talk say about Infliction or? Oh yeah, yeah. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll just tell everyone where they can go. Um, Infliction is now available in the U.S. and Canada on DVD, video on demand, digital HD. Um, you can find information on our website at inflictiontapes.com. We have a Facebook page. It's, uh, you know, Facebook Infliction Tapes. We've got about 10 Twitter accounts. We're doing a massive social media campaign with about 100,000 followers now. Um, but our main Twitter account is at Infliction Tapes. Uh, you can get it at walmart.com, FYE stores, Saturday matinee stores, uh, Best Buy, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, Cinema Now, Voodoo. So it's uh, it's everywhere. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you, uh, Jack. Thank Thanks you for so having much. me on, man. I, I had a great time. This was fun. I, I can't believe we've I've been on for almost forty five minutes. It felt like five minutes. That's great. Goes by with a breeze. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Thank you for uh, sharing your film. Uh, I hope it keeps getting seen and getting out there more people. And good luck on your next uh, film. You got it. Thank you very much for having me on, man. Of course. You have a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to I Will Watch Anything Once. 
If you are more interested in the movie Infliction, you can check out the website at www.inflictiontapes.com. Also, they have a Facebook page, and you can follow and keep updated with them on Twitter at Infliction Tapes. Also, the movie is available um, online at iTunes, on Amazon. You can actually purchase it at Walmart, Columbia House, Best Buy, Barnes & Noble, FYE, um, several other sources, as well as you can get it on uh, digital download or video on demand and sitting Cinema Now, Google Play, Vimeo, V-U-D-O. Getting DVDs on Netflix, you have the option of getting it there as well. Check out the movie Infliction. Also, you can stay up to date on I Will Watch Anything Once podcast on Twitter at at I-W-W-A-O. As well as you can follow the Tumblr at IWillWatchAnythingOnce.tumblr.com. As well as if you have any movies that you think that I should watch, feel free to email me at IWillWatchAnythingOnce at gmail.com. Earlier I was speaking about the indie community. I'd like to plug my show that I co-host with Jen Kruger, The Manifesto Show. You can follow that show on Twitter as well at The Manifesto Show. It's The Manifesto Show without a W, just S-H-O, as well as our Tumblr, themanifestoshow.tumblr.com. We put up a free indie improv show every Friday at the Clubhouse at 1607 Vermont, right next to the Johns. If you are um, an improv team out there, you can come every week to our team lottery slot and have and submit and have the chance to play that night. So please check us out. It's a great show. Thank you again for listening to I Will Watch Anything Once. We'll see you next time. And remember, if you haven't seen it once, you can't complain. This is for anybody that loves movies and top 10 lists. Here's my top 10 favorite films of 2014. Number 10, Under the Skin. Number 9, Magic in the Moonlight. Number 8, Birdman. Number 7, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Number 6, The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Number 5, Whiplash. Number 4, Edge of Tomorrow. Number 3, John Wick. Number 2, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and number one, Dom Hemingway. I suggest you watch all ten of these movies and enjoy them.